This is the Glasses by Day Geek by Night podcast episode 17. I'm Matt and today I'm going to be reviewing and moaning about some geeky stuff. So just to get it out there, if you could give me a follow and a like, even recommend your friends to listen to the podcast, comments and messages are more than welcome. If you've got something that you want me to talk about, let me know. Thanks. So on today's episode, we have Gen V and all its greatness. We have KO of the week, about eight. So this is the final battle before the grand final. And we have a comic to read before you die today, which is Infinite Crisis. So I've done my best to hold off talking about Gen V. I think I've, I spoke about it when it first, you know, when the trailers started coming out. But other than that, I've held off talking about it. I will try and keep the finale spoilers to a minimum. I've watched it today and it didn't, you know, it didn't disappoint. So what can I really say about Gen V? Carnage, blood, guts, destruction, mayhem. Random sexual escapades that make you laugh and are a bit disgusting. But I kind of feel like it doesn't let you down. And it's soups at their worst, but at their best at the same time. So I do think it was brilliant. And I know it has fans divided because The Boys is one of those things. Um, do I think it's better than The Boys? I think it's on par with The Boys. I think it gives a different, you know, a different look at what, you know, the boys would be within that setting obviously i kind of feel like it's the only way i can describe it it is it's got a bit of a gossip girl vibe with heroes slash the boys i kind of feel like because it's 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 people discovering their powers and seeing what they can do and going to university but it's almost like there's an elitist kind of thing so you've you You've got the one character that is, you know, like the, you know, the underdog, the poor kid. Um, not much family and stuff like that. And then you've got the the cool kids that one of them comes from superhero royalty and stuff. You know, I kind of feel like that to me, it, it's got a, you know, that's how I describe it. So it's like a cross between Gossip Girl, Heroes and the Boys. And utter carnage last episode has cameos the only cameo i'm going to talk about is anthony Starr, and he's brilliant i think he brings something to the role that i don't think anyone else could bring i, I kind of feel like is there a chance that he's actually unhinged in real life because he does that face so fucking well he does that face like he's gonna burn everyone alive just like you know no one does a disappointed in everyone's everyone look like he does i kind of feel like it's like how how can you be disappointed with everyone when you're such a dick? You're such a bastard. So, you know, I kind of feel like I, I love the fact that he was literally in it for 30 seconds, by the way. And I feel like he just brings that, oh shit, Homelander's here kind of thing. And it, I think it's brilliant. So the synopsis for the whole season is this. So it's set at Godolkin University, America's only college exclusively for young adult superheroes and run by Vought International. Gen V is described as an irreverent, 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 yeah, irreverent R-rated series that explores the lives of hormonal competitive soups as they put their physical, sexual and moral boundaries to the test, competing for the best contracts in the best cities, Par college show, par Hunger Games, with all the heart, satire, and raunch of the boys. So, definitely has got a Hunger Games vibe to it, because, um, you know, 
the woods is in it and i'll talk about the woods a little bit more towards the end but what i'll go into now is the the characters so i'm gonna name the characters give you their powers and say what i thought about them because realistically uh, there's some of them that really worked for me some of them that i thought were absolutely brilliant others that i just thought were just garbage that you know that literally didn't do anything for me for the series so i'm gonna the one of those characters that did nothing for me right up until probably the last couple of scenes was um, marie so marie moreau is she's a bloodbender so she can use her own blood to do like random stuff with she can make you know she can stab people with her blood she can strangle them she but all this requires in the beginning for her to cut herself and use her own blood so when her powers first you know come into play i think it's her first time getting a period then she accidentally kills her mum and dad her sister sees it and doesn't want anything to do with her and she ends up in a home for you know kids with you know violent superpowers and it basically means that she'll end up in some sort of a prison later on down the line but for some reason she gets in to godolkin university and it's a bit unlikely and you know she gets told to make you know make the most of it and all this so she goes there and you know just trying to blend in but accidentally gets invited out with the cool kids who like I said, when I say gossip girl, I kind of feel like you've got the cool kids that will get away with it. And then there's the the poor kid that will end up getting the blame for it. And something bad happens and she ends up getting the blame for it. And this all leads into the, you know, the, the actual, the storyline, basically. So the idea is she can bloodbend. She's a bit whiny. She's a bit moany. You know, I just kind of feel like a character probably in the first episode was okay. But I think since then, it just, she didn't really make much sense to me other than her being a bit like <sighs> condescending and a bit of a bit of a dick, honestly. And I just feel like she just didn't work for me. I kind of feel like it was, it was like you were trying to get us to love this character. And uh, I, I just don't think she brought too much to it. I kind of feel like they even tried to make her have a relationship halfway down the line and to me the relationship just didn't make sense um so she ends up having a relationship with jordan lee so jordan lee is a, a bi-gender soup so they can switch between male and female and you know to me it's a re- really good character it's a really good the, the way that it's done is brilliant um they have some sort of a force power kind of thing as well so they can like force yeah they can it's almost like a shock wave basically and i think it's it's almost it keeps them safe to a certain extent as well so i think that character is pretty good um had a good backstory where the dad couldn't get behind them his son becoming a girl half the time so he, he hid the girl side from his parents um yeah you know Jordan's a great character, but the the relationship with Marie just didn't make sense to me. I kind of feel like so forced. It was just like a, you know, oh well, Marie's not really working out. So if we can get this Jordan to have a relationship with her, it will work. And to me, it just it it didn't. I kind of feel like maybe the second season will delve into it a little bit more. But to me, it just didn't work. One character that I thought, or another character that I thought was brilliant was Emma. Um, Emma Maya, so she can self-size alteration. That's her power. So she normally does it, if she wants to get small, 
it you know it's it's a bit of a bit of a crappy power because every time she wants to get small she has to throw up she is you know basically a bulimic character and i know that we shouldn't be condoning this but i thought it was a good idea for you know especially toward you know in the last episode they kind of fix their mistake to a certain extent whether or not that carries on in the second season is a different story but um she she just wants to be loved she just she's she's fed up being you know you know she was a what a teen star kind of thing and she she wants to get out of that but she does love being loved and she, she you know she's the one that has the um you know the sexual escapade in the first episode and when a guy asks you to shrink down so that it makes his penis look bigger don't do it if you can shrink down just don't do it because she basically it's so funny it hair riding that cock is just really really funny kicking his balls hilarious and you know hilarious but probably unnecessary in the in the grand scheme of things not only can she shrink down but if she eats an excess of food she can get big as well all right the thing with emma is though that she doesn't take her clothes with her so it you know if she shrinks down if she goes big she is naked while she's doing it and she ends up having a relationship with one of the other great characters that i can see and that's sam so sam has been kept in the woods so the woods i said i'd talk about it so let's talk about that now the woods is basically godolkin's prison for you know kids that are you know problems with their powers and they experiment on them and they've been using it to um they used sam to augment his brother luke who is the golden boy he's he's only technically only in the first episode or technically only alive in the first episode and he has superhuman strength and thermonuclear ability so he, he can he can go on fire and he can use that fire as as and when he wants um but luke um basically sam sam ends up in the woods he gets you know he gets experimented on they put needles in his spine they're just generally horrible people to him he escapes in the first episode gets caught again by marie and one of the other characters and gets put back in but eventually he does escape again with the help of uh, emma and he's just i think he's a good character he's completely naive to life because he's been locked up for so long he's definitely got some problems in his head and one of those problems is that he sees everyone as a puppet kind of thing and uh some of the some of the puppet mayhem some of the puppet carnage is just hilarious and i can't i'm not sure if it was a way to just (laughs) limit how much carnage that they ended up putting on the telly or what but i i don't know just puppets getting ripped apart and fake you know like puppet blood coming out of them it is just so funny to watch it's why watching all the muppets get massacred it is it's just brilliant and or having uq get massacred probably that's probably more of a you know more of a accurate interpretation of what happened especially with the the puppet sex scene with emma um, yeah, it is funny. So Sam's a great character as well. Character that didn't really do it for me is Kate Dunlop. So she's got telepathy. She's, you know, typical, you know, blonde, you know, going out with um, Luke. You know, she's the, the jock's girlfriend kind of thing. So basically she touches people and she can manipulate what they do. 
she can make them kill themselves she can make them just keep walking and never come back like she did with her brother and i kind of feel like hey it's not i don't know what it was about her she just it just and maybe it was the actress maybe she just didn't do it for me but i kind of feel like the character had so much potential and it it just didn't go there for me and i just don't know why um cool idea though with the power and realistically she does come into her own towards the end if i'm honest so i can i can almost live with it andre anderson is the son of um what was it polarity um his dad is the guy from save the last dance back in the day and the guy who ends up killing Sebastian in Cruel Intentions, if you're as old as I am. Uh, when I say kill him, it, he ends up fighting him and he ends up falling into the road, doesn't he, and gets hit by a car. Um, yeah, so the idea is Andre, he's a legacy, he's he's bound for greatness, he's magnetic. Um, he's the one that causes all the, um, the issues at the beginning. He accidentally stabs, you know, there's a woman in the neck accidentally because someone bumps into him while he's using his powers and um marie ends up using her blood bending powers to put the person back together and then gets expelled from school and this all leads into um luke who has been manipulated along the way by kate into forgetting his brother and thinking he's dead and he remembers something and he goes to um the office of brink who he's basically the uh he's 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 the he he looks after all the good the good ones within the school that are going to make the six and stuff like that and he's played by clancy brown and anyone who knows clancy brown is no the great actor and he's got an even greater voice and um basically luke ends up um killing him and marie walks in on it and then all hell breaks loose luke goes after uh jordan steps in and then eventually um luke kills himself so that all happens in the first episode and it leads to marie and andre being classed as you know the heroes of the university the guidance of god and that's what what it is and it it is just a good series a kind of thing i'm trying not to give too much away because obviously yeah, the first episode was a good few weeks ago now, so I, I think I can talk about that one, but I'm not going to talk anything about the, you know, the finale other than Anthony Starr being in it for 30 seconds. So I think things that you've got to take from it is, you know, obviously the obligatory sex scenes involving small, you know, people who can shrink in size is one of the things that the boys does best. Um, I think there's been three altogether. Was the the first being the dude diving into the woman in the first series? Then you've got um, the penis scene and the sneeze from season three of the boys, and now you've got what Emma riding the cock and kicking it. And I kind of feel like that just shows how fucked up somebody is. I kind of feel like whoever comes up with this stuff has unresolved issues, and I'm so so glad. Um, so. The woods, soups, experimentation, rebellion against the human captors. You know, it's it basically how probably superhumans would go if, you know, they were real. And it's probably one of the reasons why I don't have a superpower because I kind of, I, I wouldn't go on a killing rampage, but I wouldn't be that happy with people who had, you know, like locked me up. Let's put it that way. Um, I am looking forward to where they go with it and seeing what they can do with the characters. Hopefully characters like Marie and Kate, even Andre let me down to a certain extent. I feel like even he was a little bit whiny for my liking. But, you know, 
when Jordan Jordan was great. Emma was brilliant. Yeah, Sam still brilliant as well. Um, I feel like they killed off Luke's character a little bit early. I don't think. I feel like even if he'd been put into the woods, kind of thing, his character would have been a good idea. But this is a superhero program. For all we know, him blowing himself up was all staged, and no one actually, you know, someone manipulated people's minds to see it. So who knows? Um, so ideally. This will lead into a decent season two, and it will be a good and a compliment to the boys. This is KO of the Week, bout eight. So this is the final battle now before the grand finals. So what I'd like to do is I'd like to get this squared away so that we can get the grand final underway. So what I'm going to do is, I, for anyone who's been hasn't been listening, we have four four groups, A, B, C, and D. So Group A has four fighters in. It's a one v one. Winner advances until we have a winner of the round. The winner of that round then fights the winner of round. So round A fights round B. Round C fights round D. Winner of those two ends up fighting each other and we have a winner of the week. So I've done this for several weeks now. We have some more than deserving finalists. So what I'm going to do is I'm going to get straight into it. Okay, yeah. So I'm going to dig deep. I have got my first fighter, which is going to be... Izuku Midoriya from My Hero Academia versus what's this one? This one is going to be Gambit from X-Men. Right. So this is Horseman Gambit. Okay, yes, yeah, so he's fought in a previous round. He didn't win, but he did go quite far. So Izuku Midoriya. This is Izuku Midoriya with you know, relative mastery over most of his powers that he has. So anyone who doesn't know, Izuku Midoriya is the, you know, he got given a power by All Might, who had the power of uh, One for All. So One for All is basically, it's a stockpile of powers, basically given to, passed along powers. So the idea is Izuku Midoriya can basically access the other, so what is it, eight users' powers. So at the moment, he's pretty powerful. Gambit is able to kinetically charge things to explode. So it's basically like uh, Azuka Midoriya fighting his rival and you know longtime friend um, Bakugo kind of thing, but in you know as if Bakugo has been taken over by the devil. So Horseman Gambit can basically, can, from what I can remember, he can give off noxious gases that can kill people as well. So Izuka Midori is going to want to keep his distance. So at this point, who do I think has the more power? I think that basically Gambit explosively probably has more power. Mm. Izuka Midori, I think with 100% hit, is gonna take Gambit out. I just I just can't see how Gambit could take a hundred percent hit. Yeah, I think that Gambit, even with his extra horseman power, I think one hundred percent hit, even Black Whip from Izuku Midoriya is gonna take him out. So 
Deku wins. Gambit, you have been KO'd. And so... KO! And you go back into obscurity until hopefully I do a next season of this. Okay, yeah? So Zuka Midoriya is the first winner of Ray. He is group... Round A, group one. Yeah, bout one's winner. So bout two for group A. I have... Digging deep. I'm falling out everywhere. Hold on. I've got two. So the first fighter is Piccolo from the Cell Saga. Versus The Deep from the Boys. Okay, yeah. Right, so one thing you gotta remember about um Piccolo from the Cell Saga is he's just merged with Kami. He is super powerful. Um, well, super powerful for that particular, you know, moment in his, you know, in his arc, basically. He's not as strong as Cell, but he was more than taking down Android 17. The Deep, it, isn't that powerful, honestly? You can talk to fish. He likes to do inappropriate things with the fish. Uh, I kind of feel like it's a bit of a no-brainer here. I'm not even sure why I'm giving this one you know, too much thing. The only thing that I could think of is that Piccolo still needs to breathe to actually win a fight. If the Deep could get him underwater, I still don't think it would work. You know, even a power-up from Piccolo would take the Deep out. So, no, the Deep is out of here. And I, if I'm honest, he, he's probably one... You know, he's not even a poor man's Aquaman. So... The deep, you go back into obscurity and possibly, hopefully, don't come back next season. All right, uh, so we have Azuku Midoriya versus Piccolo from the Cell Saga. Okay, so Azuku Midoriya, let's run down his powers. So he has Spoke Screen. Spoke Screen, he can emit and basically it helps him find cover. Um, it can also, you know, yeah be a bother to other people we have danger sense this is always a good one to have it's um it's like spider-man but probably on a higher scale to a certain extent it warns him of any danger um it causes him mild pain though that's the only problem with it so the idea is though that you know if he's in pain maybe he can't dodge so that's one of them he has float so he can float yeah, it's not flying, but it, it's not awful at the same time. Do you know what I mean? With his other powers, it's almost flight, though. So, he has Black Whip. I think this one is a pretty decent power, because basically, um, it, it's basically a Black Whip that comes out of his body, and it's like ropes, and it's rope in energy form, and he can use it to do things. He can tether th- people. Um, the more pissed off he gets, the stronger it gets. It, it's a pretty decent power as it goes. We have Fajin. So, Fajin, how do I even explain this? It's, it's a store-up of kinetic energy uh, by repeating the same move over and over and over again. And he can release it um, however he wants. So, in a power or speed boost. So, it makes him quite dangerous in combat, basically. So, the idea of Fajin with the other powers is, though, that... Um, it, it gives him, you know, strength rivaling the top power of just the awful one quirk, basically. So the idea is that plus awful one is going to be pretty powerful. So awful one is another one of his. So it's um, 
all for one how do I even explain it it's basically the ability to stockpile incredible amounts of power within your body and it gives you an incredible power boost basically when you release it so all for one becomes greater the more quirks that are passed into it so the idea is that that's making him pretty powerful right one of his newest powers is transmission so the transmission it's an extremely powerful um quirk it's the it's final ability to be awakened and it's it's a special one uh, it doesn't look that impressive on fair few but basically whatever he touches he can you know change the way it accelerates so he can slow it down he can speed it up um he can do this on anything so it's a pretty strong power we also have overdrive so basically overdrive is the ability um to use basically he, he can significantly go beyond the power of his own strikes he can accelerate his own punches and it goes beyond 100 percent of all for one power so he can go be about 120 percent of this so it's probably the strongest power that he's got to a certain extent this is not to mention the way that he can actually combine these powers into better quirks. Piccolo, on the other hand, is super powerful now. He, he's upped his strength completely. He can change his body size. He can regenerate. Obviously not from a headshot, but you know, he's still pretty powerful. Who do I think is going to win this? I kind of feel like Izuku Midoriya in his universe is probably the strongest one. Whereas at this point in time, Piccolo is the strongest in his universe. You know what? Probably an unpopular decision, but what I'm going to say is I actually think that Izuku Midoriya would win this and advance. I think, you know, both have got a really good intellect for battle. Both would see the thing, but I actually think with um, Izuku Midoriya's speed and the power that he can unleash at will... I think he would probably overpower Piccolo, and I think Piccolo would have a hard time sensing the sensing the energy as well because obviously it's not from his universe. So Piccolo, you have been unfortunately knocked out, and it is a KO. So Piccolo, you go back into obscurity till next time. So that is Group A's winner, Azuku Midoriya. So I'm going to try and get through these a little bit quicker. The Azuku Midoriya one had um, quite a big. Um, explanation because obviously not everyone knows who he is so we have round B group uh, round group B even round 1 and uh, the fighter is going to be if I can ever open the paper Miss Marvel versus oh season 2 Peter Petrelli Oh, this uh, it's going to be quite tough because Peter Petrelli. Uh, I'll go with Miss Marvel first. So Miss Marvels at this the point that I'm going from is just inhuman Miss Marvel, alright? Uh, none of this um, Captain Krakoa stuff that we've got going on at the moment. So Miss Marvel, she can enlarge her body. She's super durable, all that jazz. Peter Petrelli. If anyone knows Peter Petrelli, he was from Heroes in seasons one and two. He could empathically mimic people's powers. So realistically. It makes him incredibly powerful. By season two, he has more of a mastery over it as well. So realistically, he could probably replicate Miss Marvel's powers just by looking at her, just by feeling something, thinking about her. So realistically, I'm not even going to give this one too much thought. I think that Peter Petrelli 
yeah, realistically, at this point in his time, he has so many powers. He's telling this is why in season three they depower him. Yeah, they take his powers away because he was over OP'd, and realistically, it's going to be hard for anyone to beat. So. Peter Petrelli wins. Miss Marvel, you have been sent back to obscurity until hopefully next season. So, KO! So, Miss Marvel, you have been knocked out. Um, and Peter Petrelli is the winner of round one. So, let's get to it. Right. So, round two. I have two in my hand. The first fighter is going to be. Plastic Man. So we've got a bit of a theme here with Miss Marvel. Um, versus Invincible. Okay. Looking to be a good final bout here as well. So we have Plastic Man versus Invincible. So Plastic Man, he's elastic. He can do anything within the realms of being elastic. Do you know what I mean? He's probably one of the more stronger members of the elastic kind of family uh, invincible he is you know super strong near invulnerable in human terms anyway uh, can fly really fast he has a bad tempo when he wants to um, you know what realistically invincible can't take out plastic man um, the punches aren't going to hurt him I think that actually plastic man would win this fight just for the fact that Invincible does not have heat vision. I always think this when you think of Plastic Man fighting Superman. The only way Superman can beat him is to keep his distance and use heat vision. I kind of feel like realistically, the the amount of punches that it would take. uh, Could he heat himself up by moving really quick? Uh, I think he'd run out of air before then. So I'm going to give this to Plastic Man. Unfortunately, as much as it pains me to send Invincible into obscurity, it's going to happen. So Plastic Man, you advanced to fight Peter Petrelli in the final. And Invincible, you have been... KO! So Plastic Man advances to fight Peter Petrelli, whereas Plastic Man goes back... Or Invincible, even, goes back into obscurity to hopefully fight next season. Uh, right, so Peter Petrelli, season two, uh, from season two versus Plastic Man. So, like I said, Peter Petrelli, this version of him is overpowered. It's probably a silly idea putting him in the mix in the first place. That said, it was all potluck. I've dig, I've dug deep for that. Um, yeah. So realistically, Peter, I'm not even sure if you'd be able to, you know, replicate the powers of Plastic Man. But the thing with Peter is. Plastic Man might wrap himself around him, but Peter's nuclear. He'd take him out. He, you know, he's been around an, enough people with powers. I reckon that Peter will go nuclear, burn him up. That would be it. I reckon Plastic Man, you have been KO, and Peter Petrelli, you will be fighting at Azuka Midoriya in the battle between A and B. So I'm going to go straight into Group C. The round one fight is going to be Evil Green Ranger Tommy Oliver versus... Versus the Sentry. Okay, wow. Um, Evil Green Ranger Tommy Oliver versus the Sentry. It's a shame because I kind of feel like, you know, 
Tommy Oliver, for any, anyone who grew up in the same era as me, you know, he gives the Power Rangers the, the worst beating that they've ever had, I reckon. I think that is probably the top time that anyone has... I feel like that, that was a betrayal for the ages kind of thing. And I know it wasn't a betrayal because he was he was manipulated by a space witch. I get that, you know what I mean? But I kind of feel like it's a shame that he's now up against the Sentry. So the Sentry has a power of, what, a million suns or something like that. And he's not the most sane person ever. So Tommy Oliver, as much as he could call on the dragons or he can use the dragon shield, the sword of evil... It's just not going to work out. I think one one to two blows, I reckon, the Sentry's taking him out. I think the Sentry would fire, fly him into space, take out his helmet, leave him there to die. So, Sentry wins. Tommy Oliver, unfortunately, it is a... KO! And you go back into obscurity till hopefully next season if I do this again. So, we have the first winner of round one from Group C is the Sentry. So, right... I have two fighters here in my hand. The first fight is going to be Bakugo from My Hero Academia versus Storm from the X-Men. So Bakugo versus Storm. So Bakugo has explosive powers. His skin secretes nitroglycerin and he can make that explode at will. Storm can control the elements. She's super powerful. Recently Bakugo has got to a certain stage where his powers are like off the chain. His, His speed and strength have gone up because he can rocket himself forward. I think this would be a problem for Storm. I think Storm would be able to use the elements but I actually think that with his new power set because this is Bakugo at the top of his game I kind of feel like realistically he would have the upper hand here and I get that Storm is uber powerful and all that but she still moves like you know she's she's limited by speed I kind of feel like with him going above and beyond I think a barrage of explosions and then getting in close and exploding on her I think he'd have her. So I'm going to give this one to Bakugo. So Bakugo, you advance. And it is a KO for Sam Storm. So here we go. KO! Storm, you go back into obscurity until next time. Whereas Bakugo, you go on to fight the Sentry. So I'm not sure how this is going to go. Okay, yeah. So realistically, we have... The Sentry from the Marvel Universe, uber powerful, the strength of a million suns versus Bakugo in his strongest form where he's exploding, you know, everything and everyone. I actually don't think this would be as tight a battle as you, yeah, as, as quick a battle as you think. I, I, I do think that it, it's realistically going to come out the way that we think it's going to come. But I think Sentry versus Bakugo is going to be a decent fight. Um, I think that Sentry would get a few, you know, Bakugo would get a few licks in against the Sentry. I then think that the Sentry's speed, strength, invulnerability would, and the fact, you know, he can unleash the void at any point, I, I just can't see it happening. So I'm going to give this to the Sentry. Bakugo, unfortunately, don't get to go on a fight as Uka Midori if he wins. So you have been. And you go back into obscurity until hopefully next season. So, uh, what is this? Group D. Round one is going to be... Carnage versus... 
Ultimate Colossus. Okay, yeah, so Carnage. This is Cletus Cassidy. You know, he has all the powers of, you know, the previous symbiote plus the original Spider-Man. And he's just a really deranged kind of bloke. Yeah, what can we really say? Then we have Ultimate Colossus. Ultimate Colossus, anyone who knows, is skin content and near unbreakable metal. Um, In the Ultimate Universe, he actually doesn't have the strength to lift the metal skin. But he is actually on a drug called Banshee, which um, gives him a secondary mutation to he has super strength. So the idea is Ultimate Colossus, bit of a druggie. Carnage, bit of a thing. I I kind of feel like Ultimate Carnage would find it hard to get through, or Carnage would find it hard to get through Ultimate Colossus's skin. I'm going to give this to Ultimate Colossus just for the fact on sheer strength. So it is a KO! And Carnage, you go back into obscurity until next season, hopefully. And Ultimate Colossus, you go on to the next round. I'm going to get straight into it. So I'm going to dig deep. I want two amazing battle fighters here. Come on. Which do I like? I'm going to go with these two. So the first fighter is Odin. God, yeah. God of Asgard. Versus Omni-Man. Okay, yeah, so... Odin versus Omni-Man. So, Odin versus Omni-Man. How how do I even go about this one? So, realistically... So, really... Superhuman strength, stamina, durability, speed, agility, reflexes, healing, longevity, wisdom. He has the Odin Force, which grants him manipulation over magics. He, He is a strong, strong dude. And I kind of feel like... It's not to be, you know, you know, sneered at kind of thing. Omni Man, you know, uber powerful, super strong, able to withstand a lot. Do you know what I mean? Heals pretty quick. Um, I kind of feel like it, it, his son got knocked out before, but I kind of feel like it was going to happen against Peter Petrelli. Odin versus Omni-Man. Who do I think is going to win? Do I think that Odin can summon enough lightning, everything to take Omni-Man out? I think that Odin would have problems with Superman, so I think that Odin would have problems with Omni-Man. I'm going to give this to Omni-Man just on the fact that, you know, we're dealing with a god that, you know, he's, he's not used... I kind of feel like he hasn't dealt with a Viltramite before. I, I kind of feel like I'm going to give this to Omni-Man just for speed, I think. Do you know what I mean? Because I think that he's faster than Odin, stronger than Odin physically. So I'm going to give that to him. And Because remember, even as a god, he's still vulnerable in in some way. So I'm going to give this to Omni-Man. So Odin, you have been... And you go back into obscurity for next time. Okay, yeah. So Odin is back in obscurity and away from the battles so ultimate colossus versus omni-man to see who goes through to fight the sentry so realistically i'm not even going to go that far with this um ultimate colossus is a badass in his own universe but omni-man he does not stand a chance so realistically ultimate colossus you have been and 
Omni Man advances. So I'm going to go on to the first battle. So it's going to be Azuka Midoriya. So this is the Group A champion versus the Group B champion. So Azuka Midoriya versus Peter Petrelli from Season 2. So Azuka Midoriya, I've explained his powers. I'm not going to go into it again because I feel like it took up a huge portion of it. All right. Um, Peter Petrelli, he has empathic mimicry and realistically, he only has to feel something for. You know, Izuku, and I think these two would probably get along in real life, honestly. Do you know what I mean? So, the idea is I think that Peter would be able to absorb his powers, and the fact that he can heal from pretty much any attack is going to give him the upper hand here. Um, Peter Petrelli is going to be a hard one to beat, let's put it that way. So, Izuku Midoriya, unfortunately, you won't be in the, fin- in the grand final, but you do go back into the hopefully obscurity until next season so Zuka Midoriya you have been KO and you go back the good thing the way that I'm doing this though is I did it with Rogue in previous because she won one of she won her um, final to go into the grand final Peter Petrelli actually keeps all the powers that he has absorbed so realistically Peter has the power of one for all now as well so I kind of feel like he is going to be hard to beat. Sentry versus Omni-Man. So this one's a pretty... I kind of feel like realistically you've got to look at it from a logical standpoint. Probably similar power sets, you know, or power levels anyway. But Sentry has some upper hands on him. He has the power to, you know, use, you know, solar energy at its peak. (sighs) A power... Could a sun kill Omni-Man? I probably think it could. So, yeah, I'm going to give this to the Sentry. I don't see how Omni-Man could stand up to him. I think the only person that's going to stand up to the Sentry in, with that kind of power set anyway is Superman because he's firing a million you know, burning suns at a person who absorbs solar radiation. That just wouldn't work. Omni-Man, on the other hand, does not absorb solar energy. And... No, Sentry wins. Omni-Man, you go back into obscurity until next season. KO! And you are gone. So we have our final for round eight. Uh, or bout eight. So Peter Petrelli from season two versus the Sentry. So look, everyone thinks I'm going to say, oh, Peter would just absorb his powers and all that. But even with him absorbing the powers, I feel like it would be a pretty even match. <sighs> I kind of feel like even with absorbing the powers, Peter would have to use his other powers. He couldn't just rely on the sentry powers to do this. A nuclear attack might put him off. I think the thing that would win for Peter is the fact that he's a telepath as well. Peter Petrelli has Matt Parkman's power. He can get inside the head. He can, you know... He could shut him down, I think. I haven't even used that yet because he's overpowered as it is. And yet, he didn't even have to actually fight in any of the previous battles. He could have literally just got inside their heads and shut them down. So, yeah, unfortunately, Sentry, even with your amazing power set, it is not going to be a win for you. And Peter Petrelli, you are the winner of bout eight and you go into the grand final. So, Sentry, it is a KO. And Peter Petrelli, you are the winner. So that has been about eight of KO of the week and means that we're leading into the grand final, which will be out very, very soon. And the idea is it is going to be a great final. So I'm going to read out who's in it. So 
these aren't going to be the order that they're going to fight in. So we have Jean Grey. She was winner of week one. Week two's winner was Rogue. Week three was Hero Nakamura. Week four was Sila. Week five was Amat Parkman. Week six was John Kent Superman. Week seven's um, champion was the Utopian. And week eight, Peter Petrelli. So anyone who knows any of these characters knows that it's going to be an interesting final to say the least and it's probably not going to be as easy a fight for most of them as they as we all think it's going to be this has been the ko of the week about eight thanks for listening This week's commentary before you die is Infinite Crisis. It was written by Jeff Johns, penciled by Phil Jimenez, George Perez, Jerry Aldway and Ivan Reyes. Covers by George Perez with Tom Smith, Jim Lee and Sandra Hope with Alex Sinclair. If there's a plethora of talent within this book and it is just a brilliant book. Um, it almost seems like it's bringing to an end a certain era of the DC Comics, and then it goes into probably one of my favourite eras of DC Comics. So, I love it just for the fact that it's the beginning of my favourite era. So, I love the opening line of the introduction. So, Julie Schwartz said that every 10 years or so, they needed to give the universe an enema. And that, to me, is DC's mantra in a nutshell. It purges what what isn't working and keeps what is. Um, I kind of feel like, you know, Although Marvel Universe has been around since, what, the 60s, that basically it it could do with a revamp every now and then. And they do that with things like Ultimate Universe and, you know, their what-if stories and stuff. But they never actually do it to the main universe. DC is unique for this, that they just, if something's not working, they go, right, well, we'll have a crisis. Universe will be deleted. We'll merge that with that. We'll keep him because we like him. And I always feel like, you know, as a universe, DC Universe is really unique in that way that, you know, it, it doesn't keep all the crap that isn't working. And I kind of feel like recently, maybe they could probably do with another crisis to a certain extent. So I always found that this is evident with their approach to comics and their movies. So I kind of feel like they're not, the, the fact that they're still doing this with their movies is a big issue the the justice league of their dc expanded universe has been subject to the universal enema but in more of a final way it's kind of just gone right well we'll get rid of that and they've brought back a guy that looks like the superman we had and it just doesn't make sense to me but in the comics i always find that it is probably a great way to just revamp the universe bring it into the you know the current climate basically because the idea is a lot of these characters especially like superman batman they were they were created in the 30s i think if they kept kept them the way that it is and then suddenly they've got smartphones i just don't think it would work for me so i kind of feel like they need to 
they need to do it every now and then and I feel like it just gives this little edge to DC that other comic book companies just don't have. So DC Universe has been home to plenty of crises but for me none is more harrowing than the Infinite Crisis. I love the way that at the beginning of the book the league is so fractured the Trinity is at odds. Um, Wonder Woman has killed Maxwell Lord. The three of them part ways on bad terms. It it they they fight Mongol right at the beginning, and it's just like you know they're they're more fighting themselves than fighting Mongol. It's it's like Mongol escapes, and they just all like they all have jabs at each other. You know, uh, Bruce tells Clark that yeah, like he hasn't been inspiring to people since he died and stuff like that. I kind of feel like hitting where it hurts, but it's just. It's a great way to start a book. You what you expect that heroes are always going to be on the side of heroes, and I kind of feel like when the three of them part way on such bad terms, and the world's going to hell, Omax are invading. It you know it just it's leading into so you know that it's leading into something really tragic and destructive and probably beautiful. So as I said, the Omax are invading. It's got great visuals of just an army of Omax invading. Um, Nightwing stands in their way. Great visuals. Jeff Johns outdoes himself. Uh, Jeff Johns even outdoes himself with the story. The synopsis is: is the DC Universe's darkest day. Omak robots um, are rampaging. Magic is dying. Villains are uniting, and war rages on in space. And in the middle of it all, a critical moment has divided Earth. Three greatest heroes: Superman, Batman, and Wonder Woman. But long lost heroes of the past have returned to make things right in the universe at any cost. Heroes will live, heroes will die, and the DC Universe will never be the same again. So, although the synopsis doesn't give too much away, it does promise something that we know it won't let you down on. The universe will never be the same again. And, as I said before, it's going to be a universal enemy to a certain extent. And I always feel like, this one in particular, it's not as final as previous crises. Like, crisis on, um, what was it, Uh, Crisis on Two Earths or inf- Crisis on Infinite Earths, that's the one. It, it Basically, there's Supergirl dies, there's a few, a few other deaths and stuff, and you know, we don't see those characters again for a long time. Whereas, I kind of feel like this one is leading up to damaging the heroes to a certain extent, so it almost, at the end of it, leaves um, the, the Trinity, Batman, Superman and Wonder Woman, almost fractured to a certain extent, and on a rebuilding course. So rather than them being, you know, like a mixed invasion of themselves and another universe is Superman, he's he's left powerless at the end. He's you know he's rebuilding himself in a human life rather than a you know you know a half human, half Kryptonian life. Bruce is, you know, trying to find himself, trying to make sure that, you know, like he isn't destroying the children around him and stuff. So Another thing that I love about the book is that it's it's home to pretty much every hero and every villain alive at that point. So the story unfolds like any great mystery. It has you believing that you know the whole story about um, everything that's going on, only to switch things around, unveiling that what is truly going on. And it's it's one of them that it people that you believe are the good guys turn out to be the bad guys, and it sends everything spiraling out of control. So, Infinite Crisis is responsible for probably one of the best villains, I think, to enter the DC Universe, and that's Superboy Prime. So, Superboy Prime comes across as an 
as simplistic in the way that he does things. He wanted to help Superman save the universe back in the day, and he sacrificed himself to do so. So it turns out that he and Alexander Luthor of Earth 3, and Superman and Lois of Earth 2 have been trapped in a void um, for a good many years. Apparently living... Um, in that kind of way has made them, you know, made a couple of them a pretty bitter about life. And a bitter Kryptonian is a dangerous thing. So the carnage unleashed in this uh, mainstream title is unreal. They weren't afraid to kill off or maim anyone. I've spoken about Wally West uh, in how he's my favourite Flash. And this book is probably one of my favourite Wally moments in all of his history. So he, Jay Garrick and Bart Allen um, carry a rampaging Superboy Prime into the Speed Force. Um, before Wally can finish the job, he's getting pulled away by the Speed Force, so he ends up seeing Linda and his babies for what he believes is the last time. Wally says his goodbyes, but Linda can't let go, kisses him, and the four of them are dragged away to another universe. So this title also has to be one of the, has one of the hardest deaths for me. Connor Kent, you know, I kind of feel like he's he's a character recently that's being a bit shafted kind of thing because John Kent exists now and I think everyone forgets that Connor Kent was Superboy well before John Kent even came into you know, like he was he wasn't even a glimmer in Superman's eye before yeah when um, Connor turned up so Connor Kent he um, he gives his life to disassemble a machine threatening the planet. What I love about this crisis is that the conclusion isn't all sweetness and light. To a certain extent, the Trinity has gone its separate ways and it's basically retired. Um, Batman is going travelling with Dick and Tim, like I said, trying to rebuild a better Batman. Um, Wonder Woman is going off to find out who she is without Wonder Woman. Superman is powerless since he flew for a red star. Superboy Prime, it's not like they even killed him. He comes back and causes more mayhem later on down the line, but the Green Lanterns have got him locked up. He's still a threat. What I love about this book is though, that one conclusion does come from it. The whole crisis is the brainchild of Alexander Luther of Earth 3. And no hero was ever going to kill him because you've seen that with Superboy Prime. That, you know, instead of killing him, they ended up locking him up. And he's still a threat. I kind of feel like the, the only thing that was possibly better than this was that <laughs> the Joker, he doesn't like being left out of things. And because the Joker wasn't involved in any of the plans, he takes his revenge on Alexander Luther of Earth 3. And it's just a brilliant way for them to end the book because the Joker hasn't been really in it to begin with. He has to be part of it. They said no and he went his separate ways. And you think, oh, okay, that's a bit odd. The Joker wouldn't just normally just let it go. And he never. He held a grudge right till the end and he, he got his revenge. So I think... The the beauty of this book is though that it it's almost like I, I get that the Trinity goes its separate ways and stuff, but it's almost a uniting of all the heroes and all the villains. It's um, it's quite nice to see that regardless of their you know differences in a lot of ways that they can come together to get the job done. And although the heroes win, like I said, it's bittersweet that. It's basically the start of the, my favourite era of the DC comics where eventually Superman gets his powers back, Batman comes back a better Batman, Wonder Woman comes back. There's almost a forgiveness there and it's the start of my favourite era of the Justice League, the Justice Society, the Teen Titans. So, you know, it's just a great thing to see and this is a great book and it is definitely worth a read and it should be one of the comics to read before you die.
So, like I said earlier, if you give me a follow or a like, even recommend a friend, comments and messages are more than welcome. If you've got something you want me to talk about, if you've got something that you don't want me to talk about, let me know. So, I've Matt, and this has been the Glasses by Day Geek by Night podcast. Thanks for listening. Thank you.